Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click on new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. So maybe it's just me. When I take a good look around the world right now, man, I see a lot of fear. Boy, people are afraid, aren't they? They're afraid that they won't be able to afford things like their, their power bills with all the surge in energy prices. Did you know like right now, like one in six Americans can't even pay their power bill? Maybe they're afraid of what their kids are learning in schools. I mean, some states are pushing sexuality really early on our kids, right? Maybe they're afraid to stand up and speak. A lot of pro-life advocates are being arrested right now. People are afraid of the other side, all the hyper-polarization that exists out there. For the first time in decades, people are afraid of actual nuclear war. Now, in fact, I'm sure you could add a lot of other examples on there, but the point is, like, I, I feel it. I think you can feel it too. Like people are afraid and fear is at an all time high in our world right now. And really that's just what's happening in our world at the moment. That's nothing to say of what you might be feeling personally and what folks typically fear in general. And the Washington Post came out a few years ago and they, they gave out a top list of fears that people have. Here are the top fears that Americans have in order from the most fearful to the least, okay? Uh, first one, public speaking, that, that makes sense. Heights, I'll add my name to that, I am terrified of heights. Uh, bugs, snakes, animals, drowning, blood and needles, claustrophobia, flying, which kind of goes hand in hand with heights, doesn't it? Strangers, <laughs> zombies, really? The dark, clowns, 100% clowns, and ghosts. All right, now there's nothing really special about that list, but that's the top fear uh, that people have in the good times and in the bad. Fear is a part of life, and I think we know that, but what we're experiencing right now just isn't what I would call like a normal time. We're coming out of COVID where the whole world shut down and things have just changed drastically for the world, right? We've had two years of hyper-political and cultural polarization. It's affected everything from the food we eat to our kids, our ability to speak freely without reprisal. It's just a different time right now. And so what I want to do is I just want to walk you through three fears. One is a culmination of all of our fears. Another is actually a healthy fear. Um, but this first one, well, this first one is front and center at the moment because whether you're looking at government or business or institutions, it feels as if every single person is afraid to lead, right? They're afraid to lead. Now, why is public speaking the first on that list of fears that Americans have? Well, because public speaking implies leadership. Anytime you get up in front of people, whether it's a group of 10 or 500 or 1,000, you are influencing others with your words. You are, in effect, leading. And right now, we have ineffectual leadership all across the board. It's, it's in both political parties. It's on a national, state, and local level. It's in institutions and in businesses and in schools. It's even in our churches. There is an abundance of ineffectual leadership because people are crippled by fear. And when people are crippled by fear, it affects both the quality and the quantity 
of leadership. It affects the quantity because few people are willing to step up and actually lead. And that affects the quality because you're actually not getting leaders who are qualified, you're getting ones who aren't. And when I say qualified, I don't mean like with a resume. I mean people who, you know, they lack character, principle, even heart. When we have a lack of qualified leaders, we turn to whoever's left. And often those are the people who aren't the right leaders for a whole myriad of reasons. It's even worse when, when times are tough because what do we do when life gets really hard? We want someone to, to come in and just like stop the insanity, right? To restore order, to make sure it all just goes away. We want somebody, anybody really, to just fix it. And so we'll scream for some kind of savior to right the ship, even if that person isn't the right one for the role. Early in the Old Testament period, thousands of years ago, Israel began to, to clamor for a king. They wanted to be just like all the nations around them. And so at the time, they, you know, they had various judges ruling in different parts of the nation over different types of tribes. But the last judge, he happened to rule over all of Israel, and he just so happened to be a prophet as well. And his name was Samuel. So Samuel tells Israel if they get a king, He'll, he'll bring all kinds of stuff, man. He'll bring taxes. He'll, he'll take their land. He'll take their daughters and their sons. They will essentially be in service, enslaved, really, to a king who will rule over them. Now, none of this is actually painted in a good light by Samuel, but the people don't care. They, they, they want a king, and so God gives them a man named Saul. Now, Saul had all the attributes you want in the leader. He, he looked the part. He was strong, but he didn't have the right heart. In fact, you could argue that, that Saul didn't even want to be king in the first place. I want to take you this story real quick. First Samuel chapter 10, verse number 20. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel together before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, look at this, he's hiding among the baggage. Verse 23, so they found him and they brought him back out and he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. Remember, I said he looked the part, right? He looked like a king. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all of Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. You know, when you read this, it almost looks as if like Saul is showing humility, doesn't it? Like he realizes he's not worthy of being king. He doesn't want to be the king. He's hiding. He doesn't really want the role. I'll give it to somebody else. But Saul's fear is really telling here because it, it would be a precursor to how he would rule as a king and what would ultimately lead to his downfall. Uh, you see, the wild thing about Saul is that he, this wasn't a surprise. Like he knew he was going to be proclaimed king in the story. Uh, he actually met Samuel earlier and Samuel had privately anointed him as the king over Israel and, and kind of given him that prophecy that he would rule. This is the public proclamation of that. And still Saul doesn't want to lead. Why is that? Well, I think it's probably that Saul shared some fears that we have also when confronted with any type of leadership. So we're afraid to lead because, well, first of all, like we have a fear of exposure. You know, when you lead, you're under a microscope. It doesn't matter if you lead as a, as, as a ball team coach or a small business owner, pastor, politician, like your life is watched by, by everybody. People parse your words, 
your actions. And you can be sure of this too, like your character is going to be tested in a pretty big way. And that's what people really get kind of hung up on. There's a, there's a fear of what our character will reveal when the crucible of leadership begins to test it. Every person encounters a fear of leading in some form or fashion, but not every person is up to the task of overcoming that fear because leadership really strongly tests character. We fear what will be revealed if our character is tested and we fail that test. And I'll kind of let you in a secret. Look, no leader passes this test every single time. Every leader is going to fail it multiple times. But the ones who overcome this fear of exposure, they're the ones who make the adjustments. They're the ones who make the changes, who get back up and just keep on going, right? Saul doesn't appear to have that ability. So time and time again, he's going to fail the character test. You read the story in Life of Saul, you kind of see him do that. He was what I would call an you know, insecure leader. And sometimes when we lead, we are so insecure, like we'll dig in our heels and we'll double down like on all the wrong things. You ever wondered why people in leadership do that? And they know something's not working. The data shows that. The feedback they receive shows that. Uh, but it's like they ignore what's kind of in front of them. And so almost as if they're content, they keep careening towards a cliff. Well, why is that? Well, I think it's because there's a fear of failure that also haunts every leader. So you fail more times than you succeed in leadership. Nobody expects you to about a thousand, okay? The people who do that, they're the ones who either never set foot in a leadership role in their entire life, or they're just really bitter because they flamed out and they're hurt and they over-criticize and lash out at you and every other person in a leadership role. You know, you can make the Baseball Hall of Fame just by failing. Did you know that? Like a lifetime batting average of 300, that gets you a trip to Cooperstown. Now, we think 300 sounds really good, you know, but that means you actually failed 70% of the time. Like the best hitters, they make adjustments with each failure so they can overcome the next challenge. And the same is true for those who lead well. They just, they make adjustments to their failures to better position them for successes in the future. And Saul, man, he certainly had his, his share of failures, but it's this last fear of leading that I really think did him in. So uh, we're afraid to lead oftentimes because we have a fear of rejection. And we struggle with insecurities and vulnerabilities. We generally don't want people to dislike us, right? So what do we do? We compromise our principles, you know, what we know is true, all to avoid rejection. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul's told by the Lord to completely destroy the Amalekites. He wasn't supposed to leave a single living being, human or animal, after that attack. Now, it's, it's a difficult task to wrap your head around, you know, especially in today's time. Um, but I don't have the, the, the space here to, to kind of dive into why God would give that command. Maybe we'll do that another day. But just regardless, Saul had his orders to wipe them out, okay? And so he, he does defeat the Amalekites. But Saul doesn't carry out God's command to destroy everything and everyone. He makes his way uh, into the camp, Samuel does, and, and Samuel begins to see the, the blatant disobedience of Saul. When he's confronted, Saul tries to explain it away. He says things like, well, I was saving the best for God. I carried out God's command for the most part, you know, that kind of thing. And then Samuel kind of brings down the hammer. And so he tells Saul, because of his disobedience, and this, this is not the first time Saul disobeyed, we should probably note that, that God is gonna take away the kingdom from him. And so listen to Saul's real explanation. Now that he knows he'll never have a dynasty, another king's coming after him, then he gets kind of real and honest. Look at verse 24, 1 Samuel 15, 24. Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I failed. I messed it. I, I got it. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Now look at what he says. For I was afraid of the people 
and did what they demanded. Did you catch that? Like, he's the king, right? Like, this is not a democracy. It's an absolute monarchy. He's the one that gives the orders. That's a very telling statement because it reveals that Saul's afraid of what the people might do and of what they think of him. Now, I don't really believe for a second that you should have the attitude, well, I don't really care what people think about me. Well, that just shows you don't care about people, okay? However, you can't let your fear of what others might do or think or say bring you to a place where you compromise your principles. And in Saul's case, it was disobeying a clear command from God. And so Saul really leads from this place of fear throughout a lot of his, his reign as king. And it causes him to compromise God's truths, to disobey, to compromise principle. And it leads to his kingdom being taken away. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, but there is a moment where the nation of Israel gets this chance to see two contrasting types of leaders. Once again, fear is going to play a pivotal role here. 1 Samuel 17, verse number 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I am the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me, and if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, we'll be your slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, what were they? Well, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So Goliath is a pretty well-known figure. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard the whole David versus Goliath narrative is pretty popular. Uh, he was an imposing figure, standing over nine feet tall, which I know sounds ridiculous. But just for reference, the tallest person ever recorded, at least here in America, was a man named Robert Wadlow, who died in 1940 at 8 feet 11 inches. So as rare as it is, that kind of height can be achieved. It can exist. But Goliath is also a figure who tends to represent a culmination of all of our fears. He's often used to symbolize our greatest fears, our most tantalizing challenges and obstacles. And his challenge, by the way, it wasn't unique. It was really common in ancient history for two champions to fight to the death. War is just really costly, both in terms of finances and lives. And so in an effort to limit the carnage, you'd have these duels that would sometimes occur. And the problem here for Israel is their champion won't fight. So while there isn't a named champion given, a lot of folks believe their champion would have been either Saul himself or his son, Jonathan. And every time Goliath appeared, the people hid in fear. And when they heard his voice, they would quake. And when they thought of the giant and his imposing weaponry and strength, man, they shuddered. I would imagine that fear just reigned supreme 24-7 in the hearts and minds of every Jewish soldier, including King Saul himself during this time. So, the, you know, the idea of victory just seems so out of reach and far-fetched. Hope was fleeting for the Jewish people. And this challenge, man, it was too great. It just seemed too impossible. And you could well make the case that Goliath's very presence utilized fear to control Israel and what they would do and think and what their outcome would be. And I don't think we've gotten to a place really here many years later that's any different. I think many of us are still controlled and influenced greatly by fear. In fact, one of the things we fear is we fear people, right? Like it's that person you avoid speaking to or looking at who gets your palms all sweaty, who causes your heart to race just when you think about them. We get anxiety over that person. That's fear, by the way. That's living a life controlled by fear. And you're giving that one person or a group of people, maybe it's a group, incredible amounts of power. And the question is, why? Maybe you had an abusive past or there was great pain and harm inflicted on you 
from that individual group. And, and I get that. I can sympathize with that. And it may take longer for you to move on to a place where fear doesn't have that kind of influence. And if that's true, man, I pray God uh, will heal your heart and your mind for you. But for many, we fear people or groups of people and who have no idea that we even feel this way. And it was a conflict or moment that we had years ago that inflicted pain. And they've moved on and it wasn't a big deal. But for you, like for you, it was huge. And you still remember how you felt, remember what was said and how things went down. And you just haven't really moved on like they have. And when that happens, man, you're giving them way too much control over your life. So what do you do? Will you forgive? And as hard as that may be, you have to reach a place of forgiveness. You have to have the hard talk. You have to write the letter, maybe, if you can't have the talk. You know, do what you got to do so you can be forgiven and you can be set free. Because until you do that, you're going to exist in a prison of bitterness of your own making. Another thing we fear is we fear the past. More people are controlled by a fear of their past than perhaps anything else. Like we're afraid of what others will find out about us, about what we've done, where we've been, how we used to live. Maybe we're afraid our past will catch up to us in the next generation with our kids or grandkids. Certainly there's a fear that we'll forever and always be defined by our yesterdays. You know, we get these thoughts like, I'll never be this kind of person. I don't deserve to be that kind of person. I get that second chance. But listen to what the Lord says about your past about those sins of yesterday. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18. Come now, God says, let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. It's God who forgives our sins. Maybe you're concerned about others forgiving you. Listen, if that's you, man, if they don't forgive you, that is on them. But God can. And God will forgive your deepest sins. And He can give you a new start. He can hit that reset button in your life. He, can, he, he, he does something else too, I think, in, in the process of forgiveness that I've always believed is really incredible. Look at this. This is also from Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 25. This is God speaking here. And He says, I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. You realize what God's saying there. He's saying that He not only you know, chooses to forgive your sins, he chooses to never bring them up again. He'll never remind you of your past and of who you were and what you did because he's forgiven you and he's chosen to move on. The enemy goes, you know, by a lot of names and one of those names is the accuser and he'll bring your past up. He'll define you by your past. He'll, he'll pin you to your past, but Jesus has forgiven you is to write your future once you've allowed Him to forgive your sins. We, we overcome our past by God's love and by God's grace. There's no reason to fear what happened yesterday when God's forgiveness can cover you. So Goliath represents our greatest fears, our greatest challenges. And that means, too, that we tend to fear opportunities. I've said it a few times already, that fear can be crippling, right? But if you're the kind of person who overanalyzes every single thing, like you're someone who allows fear to cripple your decision-making, and what's paralyzing uh, is, is that so many uh, opportunities can be the greatest opportunities that you'll come across, but you're so afraid you can't seize them. You know, Goliath was terrifying, but he represented an opportunity. Look at verse 25, still in Samuel 17. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and that man's entire family, <laughs> check this out, is going to be exempted from paying taxes. Wouldn't you like that? Big risk, big reward, right? 
And while everyone else is, is shaking with fear and they're quaking, there's this teenage kid named David who kind of comes on up to the Jewish camp. And the people see a giant to be feared, but David sees an opportunity, not just for himself. He sees one for God to be glorified because he's aware Goliath has crossed the line. He's not just taunted Israel. He's mocked God. And so David gathers five stones, an arm with just a slingshot. He marches out to seize the opportunity in front of him. Look at this. First Samuel 17, verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. Don't you love that? And then I'll give you the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know, here it is, that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know what? It's the Lord, not David. It's the Lord who rescues his people but not with sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he'll give you to us. Notice David doesn't mention himself because it's not about him. He puts the focus squarely on God. This is God's victory. This is God's battle. This is God's opportunity. And in that moment, the nation of Israel sees a future king overcome fear, sees opportunity and defeat a giant while their current king is quaking in his boots in his tent. Now, David looks really brave in the story, but I'm convinced that there was one fear he had, one which I think we should all have, and that is this, a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, the theological term for this is called, is called reverence. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. A knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Why is fearing the Lord the beginning, the foundation, Proverbs says, of wisdom? Well, because God is truth, and wisdom is knowing both how and when to apply truth to a given situation. And so David knew that God had previously given him victory over lions and bears who had tried to rob his flock of sheep. I think few fears will grip you, like staring down a lion or a bear armed with like a club or a slingshot, okay? And in both instances, David overcame fear and defeated his enemy. He heard Goliath defy God without fear of reprisal. He saw the people quaking. And so David, you know, he had this wisdom, knowing that God would not let this kind of mockery continue. And if God had previously given David victory over a pretty tough odds as a shepherd, right? Shouldn't he give him victory when his own name is on the line? Well, wisdom pointed to yes. And so I wonder today, in this world of fear, what wisdom are you relying on to face your fears? Who are you leaning into? When we fear the Lord, we're walking in good company. You know, we're walking with guys like, you know, David and Peter and Paul and Jeremiah. In fact, Jesus himself teaches us the importance of fearing God. Look at Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who can kill only your bodies, but can't touch your souls. Fear only God, is that, is that phrase, right? Who can destroy both body and soul in hell. There's a lot of fear in this world. And you and I, we both battle with different types of fears on a daily basis. We, we fear for our spouses and our kids and our livelihoods and our country and our past wrongs and the opportunities that are in front of us. There's so much that's out there. But the only fear we should really ever give a foothold to is a healthy fear of the Lord. And so live a life of no fear today. Overcome the fears which have influenced you and plagued you, maybe even controlled you. Allow a fear of God to bring wisdom and grace and forgiveness to your life today 
so you can stand strong in a world that's shaking. I pray with you here today real quick. Father, love you. Thank you so much for those who are listening and watching here today. God, they're, maybe they're, they're battling fear, all types of things that we fear in our world right now. And Lord, I pray that you would just assuage those fears. I pray, God, that you would just begin to work in each heart and life. And God, remind us that the fear of the Lord is the only fear we should have. God, when you have our backs and you're walking with us by our sides, Lord, we have nothing to fear. You hold the world in your hands. You have our destiny in your grasp. And God, everything rests with you. No matter what people do to us or say to us or no matter what harm might come our way in this life, it all pales in comparison to your power and your glory. I mean, we fear only you. God, man, we seize opportunities when they come up today, when they, when, when they, when they, when they show up. No matter how challenging they might be, uh, no matter how difficult they might be, when we seize the opportunities in front of us, may we not fear our past, knowing, Lord, that you can forgive us, that your, that your forgiveness wipes away our sin. May we not fear people, God. Um, and we overcome that fear and forgive others who have harmed us and wronged us. God, may we rise to the level of leadership that you're calling us to. Maybe there's somebody out there right now, you're knocking on their heart's door, calling them to some kind of position of leadership, whether it be in school or business or government or wherever it might be. And my prayer, Lord, is that we rise to that, that occasion, that level. Not, not afraid of what leadership may do to us, that fear of exposure, rejection, failure. May all that kind of go out the door. May we understand that, man, as long as you're with us and you're guiding us and directing us and we're in lockstep with you, as long as we fear the Lord, we can rise to whatever level of leadership you might be calling us to. Lord knows we need leaders right now, right? And so, Father, I thank you that, that there is no reason for us to fear anything in this world so long as we have the fear of the Lord and, and, and have that confidence and knowledge that you're by our side, that you're walking with us, that you're, that you're with us each and every step of the way. So, Father, help us to be courageous, to be bold, be victorious, and to consistently revere you. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for what you're going to do in our hearts and our lives. And we ask all this in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.